The theme for the grand finals of this year's debatable intervarsity was arts and culture. So the motion that we had for the grand finals dealt with cynicism, which according to the info slide was an attitude that's characterized by a general distrust of other people and also their motives. So we had a hard time choosing from the amazing list of motions of which one to place in the finals, but ended up with this one because we felt like there was quite a lot to cover. We see more and more cynicism in various areas of life, from people refusing to believe in governments, in vaccines, and even in the very idea that people can be altruistic. Cynicism has been around for a long time, but never before has it been this prevalent in our culture as a society. Before you listen to this post-debate analysis, we just want to say that this will be the last episode about debatable intervarsity for a while, at least until next year, mm-hmm. because you might have another debatable intervarsity next year. Actually, no, we're already planning next year's debatable <laughs> intervarsity. Um, so we really, really hope that you enjoy this last post-debate analysis for this particular tournament. We hope that you tune in for the next episode, which will be next week. We can't spoil anything yet. But what we can tell you is that it's going to be about what comes next for Debatable. And no, it's not just going to be about the next Debatable Open or the next Debatable InterVarsity. We have new things planned that are very exciting and we really, really hope that you tune in for that. So without further ado, the motion reads, This House Regrets the Mainstreaming of Cynicism in Art, Media, Politics, etc. So we'd really like to thank Papa Lozano who contributed this motion and this post-debate analysis. another episode of Debatable with your hosts, Nina and Kyle. I am Nina. I'm Kyle. Today, we're joined by Papat Lozano, who is our motion contributor for Debatable InterVarsity's Arts and Culture Round. Hello! Welcome hey. to our show. I am Papat. Thank you for having me. I am not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, old debate, I guess. I'm 23, <laughs> so that's not that old. Um, I'm currently the coach of La Salle Debate Society, along with the other coaches of La Salle Debate Society. What do I know about arts and culture? I graduated from a degree in marketing, so that helps me understand culture and how we can exploit it and monetize it, like most things in the world today. <laughs> Um, But I'm currently a yoga teacher on top of being a coach. I do a bunch of freelance things and I'm a proud owner of an Aterika's Baxilog here in Dumaguete. (laughs) So your motion is interesting. It's about regretting the mainstreaming of cynicism in art, media, and politics. But before we get to that, uh, what do you think is the importance of art and culture and why do debaters need to talk about it during rounds? So arts and culture intersects with media motions in the sense like media motions are usually about what should news do, what are the role of what's the role of the fourth estate and all that. Um, arts and culture. So before the culture part, the arts part doesn't have the same expectations placed on it like media and media motions. So in terms of principles and what art ought to be, it's a lot of room for debating because you have art that's literally just a white canvas. And you also have art like historical art that depicts important parts of history. Or you also have different forms of art from visual to music 
to place and all that. And I think that part is important because if you think about it, all art that has a function, um, I think are mostly two things. Either they're art that depicts the realities or a reflection of the way things are today, right? You know, a lot of the memes are on like art imitating life or life imitating art, right? So which is the second part, which is art gives us an image of what things could be. So it could be a bad depiction of our future or it could be an idealized version of our future. And you get that in books and all that. A lot of the discussion with arts as motion topics and debate is what role should art play? What role should the creators of this art play? Do they have any obligations to the rest of society? Or are they free to create whatever they want? So I think that's where it differs from media because there's more expectations with media, but not the same. It's always true about art. And then the culture part of this topic is really about, um, so everything is a culture, I would say. Like, it's just a matter of how big or how small it's practice. And oftentimes, the question in culture debates is, is it needed in the world today or is it not needed? You have thesis, antithesis, and the synthesis of those cultures you have countercultures and all that. And I think um, debates about culture are really about how they interact with one another. What is the predominant culture? What is the counterculture? And how the world moves on moving forward. So with arts and culture, um, I guess the reason why they come together is, well, you could be cultured and art, um, but you could also just have a culture and not necessarily have any form of art, but like most do. And so it's really about understanding what makes us as people and what makes us as a certain group of human beings that come together around our depiction of reality or the reality that we want to create in the future based on the art that we create and based on the cultures that we subscribe to. It really helps us understand who we are and how we interpret reality. So your motion was about regretting the mainstreaming of cynicism, which is, according to the info slide, an attitude characterized by general distrust of others and their motives. But beyond the info slide, how would you relate cynicism to art, media, politics, etc.? The reason why I wanted to talk about it is because you see it a lot, especially today, like, with the rise of anti-vaxxers getting a resurgence, QAnon and all those. Um, in the Philippines, you don't know what to trust anymore. Like, you can't trust the media and all that. So th I think that's like what the interpretation of cynicism is on top of the info slide. It's really how it's playing out today. From the past, where cynicism just used to be conspiracy theorists making a documentary and posting it somewhere in the depths of YouTube, now you have a lot of these documentaries on Netflix, or you also have a lot of these blog posts on the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, or even in WhatsApp groups or group chats on Facebook for that matter. So which is where I want to talk about how the fact that it's no longer the edges of the internet, and now it's like ingrained from the internet, from media that we consume, the way that our leaders talk about it, spreading distrust here and there. You see that with Fox News even, Discrediting, discrediting the media when like they're part of that media as well or the, also the Philippines with like Harry Roque explaining how this and that isn't true and we should just listen to the president but at the same time not take him so seriously so I think that's like where the inspiration the, the, the roots of this motion is who do you think the debate should focus on, given that this is such a broad topic with so many different players that can be involved? 
honestly, there is no specific. That's why I like the motion is EG in media, um, art, and politics. And it's not IE, sort of nerd stuff. Like, it's because um, it's really up to the debaters to explain the impact of that certain angle um, and why that impact is probably the most important impact in the debate. So for example, there'll obviously be a frame about politics and how we trust or distrust government institutions or the ICC. It also can talk about art and how we are raising children to believe or not to believe in things. How should like we be more accepting or not accepting to people in power and all that or people around us like is this a world you know or, or like Raya the last dragon right that was all about trust in a world full of cynicism against other tribes like can we come together and trust each other so I think the more important actor is really who you can sell you can throw in any actor and explain why they're the most important from democracy to children to the role of media to the role of art um, and these are the different actors you can explain so what would be the strategic frame to use regarding cynicism? As you said, there are so many different actors that you can apply this to, but what would be the most general frame that you could use for all of them, especially if you were an opening where it's most crucial to have this sort of framing? First off the bat, this debate isn't about is cynicism good or bad. It's about it becoming a mainstream thing and how frequent it's being used and weaponized. I would say the, e- the lowest hanging fruit is to talk about media and to talk about its role in informing the public and steering how people perceive politicians, perceive government institutions or other the elite and the institutions for that matter. And the reason why I think this would be the lowest hanging fruit for opening is because it's, well, it's generally easier to... Um, mechanize and to characterize what it looks like today. But secondly, you get clear impacts on how it affects democracies, how it affects elections, how it affects trust with governments, which is one of the easiest things like people learn in debate is democracy. And so if you frame it as what is best for democracy, then it would be easier for opening teams to take the, the moral high ground like, oh, cynicism in the mainstream is bad for democracy or at opposition and it's, it's the core and it's what's important in democracy. Therefore, it's something that we should support. But the second thing is, I think opening government especially has to be clear with what the counterfactual is. And this is what I love about Regret's motion. It's being creative with the counterfactual. So it's not enough that opening teams are, and this is usually where closing teams come in. They're like, oh, opening teams did not have a counterfactual. Here's our magical counterfactual. And then closing ends up winning the debate. So if opening doesn't have a counterfactual, then they're more likely to, to lose. If opening just talks about is cynicism good or bad, then they're also more likely to lose. So the two important frames has to be what does mainstreaming look like and what are the effects of mainstreaming it are not, not just um, cynicism, but second is the counterfactuals. In a world where it wasn't being mainstreamed, where would it be? So it'll probably look like there'll still be um, people who are cynical about the government and there will always be criticism of certain policies. It's just a question of how trusting we are. And in a world where cynicism wasn't mainstreaming, you'll probably have more respect for institutions. You're more likely to trust that the government has your best interest at heart 
you're more likely to trust that your government politicians and people running for office. So it's kind of more an optimistic view of politics and democracy, but you will still have people who will be willing to critique such as your regular media, writing exposés, investigative journalism, you'll still have these democracy. Uh, you'll still have um, documentaries for that matter. Um, but what usually would have happened in that other world is the, the barrier it takes for people to believe all of these outside perspectives might be more difficult. So the comparative of the debate then becomes in the worst case where somebody is wrong, should we believe governments or should we believe the conspiracy theorists? And I think that's where the debate will happen. So at opening government, you'll say that we need to trust the government to a certain extent. We need to, and the way, if we don't trust the government, then we need to rely on elections and the sanctity of elections and the media that will do its role. So you need to protect the fourth estate, transparency, accountability. Therefore, you won't need cynicism to come up. At opposition, you'd explain why it has been the lack of mainstream cynicism that has allowed the elite to get away with corporate capture, all those types of things that like has led to where we are right now, where the government cannot be trusted, corporations cannot be trusted, massive inequality and all those types of things. So I think that's a general frame that also happened in the opening debate. I was curious about the counterfactual. So if you did mention that governments needed to have one, what counterfactual would you run? And what kind of arguments can you imagine opening, running, especially if you were in that position? So the first argument is why mainstreaming is harmful, right? Um, and then the general things you could run under that is how you need critical mass to get any sort of movement with anything. And if we're all cynical against each other, then you're less likely to create critical mass. And that's especially true in a world where there are heavy fractures with which problem and which minority we have to help first. Like, should we help the LGBTQIA, like my background, or should we help women, or should we help people of color? So there are a lot of these issues. And right now, because I think like a lot of groups don't agree that we have commonalities with each other, while there's efforts right now to move into intersectionality, that doesn't always mean that we're, we'll be willing to fight for each other, especially when your airtime takes away from my airtime and all that. So there's always a cost with cooperation, which is why movements are also not coming together as much as we would have wanted them to come together, right? So that's probably like the lowest level. The second is cooperation with the government. Any government policy, any executive decision will not happen if people on the ground will not follow. While we do cede power to the government, it is important that we cooperate as well in these projects because we are the people who will make things come true as much as the government will also. So it, just because the government has vaccines available, if people aren't willing to get those vaccines because they're cynical about the vaccines, they're cynical about the government, then you'll never have the effect of the vaccines happen, right? So the harm mostly comes from the scale of it. Instead of just a few people, like the 1% who are conspiracy theorists, it now becomes 50% or 60%. And that's like a lot of people that you need to get vaccinated to get herd immunity or you need a lot of, or those are the people that you need to cooperate to get any changes for in a bad government. So that leads to the counterfactual and why the other world is more preferable. So what I would set up at opening government as a more preferable world it's one in which mainstreaming wouldn't have happened or didn't start 
cynicism would just remain in the outskirts of, of public consciousness. And you would therefore argue why, one, that's likely because you could argue that the mainstreaming probably started with um, the rise of populism and the interest of these populist leaders to rile up people based on anger and fear and hatred. So in the absence of that mainstreaming, these types of ideologies would have not gotten into power or these um, types of ideologies would have just been in the fringes. So at best, they'll just be an angry white person shouting on the streets. Um, but at worst, they'll probably be a political party that runs but doesn't win, like Marie Lupin in France, right? So that's probably like what cynicism, if it didn't become mainstream, would have looked like. It would have just naturally faded out back into the edges. Then you would argue why that's more preferable. One, it's easier for governments to take action when certain crises hits. It'll be easier for people to come to cooperate with each other. Um, and this is important in like the generic arguments about nation building, creating safety, helping each other. So the way that you would have thought, I mean, like a clear demonstration of a world that's not cynical is the... Um, community pantries, if community pantries where people were willing to donate as much as they were willing to take, right? And you only saw that in the start of the community pantries. But as it took longer, it was mostly people coming there to line up and then getting angry when, they're, when they run out of food and run out of whatever things to donate, right? So that's where you see cynicism start to take over rather than people wanting to come together to help each other. And so you would say we support like the initial stages of community pantries where people would come to donate and give and take and then if we, if mainstreaming of cynicism didn't get worse more people would have been willing to donate more people would have been willing to give because they know that they could get something in return as well um but on a broader scale it might look like maybe supporting lenny robredo and all of the projects that she's doing and there are a lot of them but um and i would say like the mainstreaming of cynicism with the actively hating on it means like these types of projects get underlooked these types of projects get discredited despite these projects being important important for the welfare of people on the ground, like the current project of vaccinating public transportation drivers and all that. If we want those things to expand on scale, you need more people to cooperate. So the goodness of it looks like people being part of the e-consulta program and all that. But in a world with constantly mainstreaming cynicism, it becomes harder and harder to expand these types of projects. And such a point that eventually it might be like a free for all or a fight for yourself type of situation. So I think that's generally like the arguments, the frames, and the things that that was probably a seven minute speech already <laughs> that government can talk about here. For opposition, then I think the first thing the opposition has to do is they have to characterize why mainstreaming happened. And it's very important because the starting point of the counterfactual and whoever wins what the count the world before it became mainstream looks like is also likely to win the debate. So if you're gonna explain at OO that the world before it became mainstream is a world in which we were too trusting of the elite and we were trusting that trickle-down economics will work. We were trusting that governments have the best interest at part of people, and that has led to all the failures, worsening in income inequality. Um, all those types of bad things that you would generally throw out in debates, right? And so if you're, if you're able to successfully characterize that as opening opposition, then you're able to justify why the mainstreaming is legitimate. And, the way, and then you'll say that's legitimate because we've been too trusting and we have um, failed people. Therefore, we need to be more cynical and there's an increase in cynicism because there's nothing to trust. 
So it's a counterculture to our existing culture of being too lax with government systems, with corporations and all that. Um, and now is the time that we're trying to win that back and we're trying to fight against those systems. And so now governments are in a position where they have to constantly prove themselves people. Corporations are also forced to do the same types of things. And that all stems from the consumption of media and the discussions in politics that do stem around hatred towards other people that have failed or abused the system so that we can repair the system and make that system better. So maybe like it might sound like make America great again, but if you just deconstruct that branding, I think there's enough like principles and like pragmatic reasons why that mainstreaming of cynicism came out. And then you would go then to argue, we don't regret the mainstream because that's what demands more accountability from our leaders versus in a world where they don't have the critical mass to demand that accountability. They don't have the numbers or the willpower to push for that accountability from our governments and from all of that. So um, the world where we have mainstreaming cynicism increases the burden for politicians and for corporations to have to prove themselves worthy of our trust. So that's one, like accountability. The second is apathy. People are now riled up with anger. There are more and more people that are looking to get involved versus in like pre-internet days or pre-mainstream cynicism days where a lot more people didn't bother or didn't care. You can argue that it's by mainstreaming cynicism that people are more willing to participate. So at POP, you don't have to defend that. It'll always lead to good outcomes. You can first argue that the participation in and of itself and the accountability is already a good value to support um, versus a world where people were apathetic. We'd rather people care about the wrong thing than not care at all. Like I would go to that extent of defending that opening opposition. I wanted to ask you how how you would expect each team to evolve through these frames and adapt. So like how would you argue for example on Gov that mainstreaming is too much to the point that you're not going to get accountability anymore? So at government, I think you'll say that often cynicism isn't founded on that. It is often founded on fear and irrationality. You cannot get any accountability if people aren't willing to believe the facts. And the way that looks like right now is our confidence in vaccines. There is science that proves that vaccines work. There is science that shows that the risks of getting a blood clot is significantly lower than the benefit of developing immunity to the virus, right? And it's that increased cynicism that makes us refuse to still believe the facts and the figures, even when the accountability is there. So I would say it does not lead to accountability. It just leads to distrust of facts. And then you have like the devolution of like, how do we believe science even more and all that. And that's a more problematic world because it, the, I would say that the cynicism assumes that there is a rationality behind that cynicism rather than just the fear and irrational desire to distrust things as a whole. So that's how I would have evolved that in government. For opposition, how would you argue that there's a way to have, you know, a society or a movement that functions and like you have people cooperating mm -hmm. even with this degree of cynicism? I would say that it would just take a lot of suffering before people to realize that there's a better way of doing things. So I would say like the state right now might not be good, but eventually we will realize that this is not a way that we should live. It might take a lot of time. It might take a lot of sacrifice. Some people, there will always be collateral damage, but I would say like in the thesis, antithesis, synthesis timeline of the world, 
we will eventually get to a point where um, a new synthesis will arise, right? So I will say that at opposition, um, the world where we cooperated was one that led to environmental exploitation, led to corporate capture. Um, and in, now in the world where we are distrustful, it is leading to non-cooperation, it's leading to all of these harms. But in its place, we don't know yet, but if anything, something will come out. So community pantries came out in response to failed government efforts. And then community pantries were doing well, and then it faded, it started doing bad. And then, I don't know, something else will come out sooner or later because we're now focusing on getting Getting more vaccines rolled out so that we don't have to keep coming into quarantine. The best opposition can do is promise that there will always be times of dips and there will always be times of good highlights in human history. We're just at the point in that mainstream cynicism. So I would then shift the burden that government has to defend the world where corporations could capture um, politics as much as they wanted, right? So I'd say the world we are now, at least we're progressing into a different version of that world versus in the world of opposition, of government, where things were clearly shitty, right? So we don't know how our world has played out, but the world without mainstreaming of cynicism has already played out and it isn't a good picture. So like, it's like, a lesser evil and we prefer the lesser evil with more potential changes in the future. Yeah, so I really like the discussion so far. I would have a difficult time extending. So if you were in my position and you had to extend for yourself, what arguments would you run and what frames would you throw out for both closing government and closing opposition? I would argue at closing government why mainstreaming makes it significantly harder for people to change their minds about things. And so here you need to do a lot of context building as well. So in the initial context, like government suck, blah, blah, blah. But I would also argue that there's more political divisions today. So this isn't about accountability, but this is about across the aisle cooperation, right? And how we are able to move forward as a system. So I would say one... For us to be able to cooperate, there needs to be some level of compromise or willingness to agree and admit that we were wrong um, and to change our mind. But again, so the initial assumption, uh, initial frame is it comes from a lot of hatred and fear. And here the role of media then becomes important because a lot of the times media does not have the answers to the questions that society is asking. What media often has is more questions. So if you listen to Fox News and you listen to, um, who's the guy, um, Doc something, <laughs> one of the angriest people, Carlson, I think, Carlson. Carlson. yes, oh my God. <laughs> or if you listen to even Tulfo, right, you yeah. don't get a lot of the answers, you don't get a lot of answers to questions, to issues that people are facing, you just get more questions that poke the bear and prime people. So what that indoctrinates people to believe is it's enough to ask questions. But that's not true because when we're just bombarded with more questions and we're riled up with more emotions, reality becomes more distant. Then I think like the first extension will be the role of media in all of this and why we don't like that it's becoming mainstream. 
So on one hand, you can say media was the one that created the mainstreaming, or on the other hand, you can say media latched onto that mainstreaming. And you would say that media has made the discourse toxic. Like, yeah, run the discourse argument. But the point here is discourse doesn't lead to anything concrete. It just leads to more disagreement, but no tangible solution. And that's because either media feeds into it because it's clickbaity, it's more what grabs people's attention to keep watching more advertisements because you have anger and you have more willingness for people to engage. And so it's a self-fulfilling proxy. It's a rat race, rat wheel thing of media making things worse. And then so you can argue that the mainstreaming has made the quality of media significantly less. And that's bad because in a world where we believe media is the fourth estate, um, it has to be responsible for the information that people consume and the way that people end up making decisions based on the way that media talks about these things. So the reason why this is different from opening is because while opening talks about governance and democracies, we're talking about how people are fed information. And so this, I would say that this is the precursor to democracy because you don't have any tangible form of participation without information. And so we, the debate about who provides that information and how they provide that information is a more significant debate because all of openings debate is about how people make this, uh, the types of decisions people make later on, but we're questioning how people make those decisions based on that information, right? So that first extension on um, media and the role that media has and why that's a bad thing. So as I talked about earlier, art does not have the same um, burdens for responsible journalism, but media does. And it becomes a balance between how much should media have corporate interest to profit and make ad revenue versus media having an obligation to inform people rather than just questioning and indoctrinating hate and shit like that. Which leads to the second thing, which is, so the world in which it's very toxic and there's a lot of political divisions, bridging the gap becomes an important goal. So you will argue that mainstreaming cynicism makes bridging the gap more and more impossible, especially today. The caveat here is while it is true, there are some DDS people who are now hating on DDS. There's still a lot of them that refuse to change their mind. So in the way opposition will respond to this later on is they'll say, eh, it doesn't matter because extreme people will always be extreme, right? But you, you would have to say that we cannot live like this in which people are divided into Democrats or Republicans, pro-Black people or pro-police force and all that, or in the Philippines, pro-EJK, blah, blah, blah because the world is more complex than that. And we need more gray areas in the resolution of conflict and in the resolution of the issues that society faces today. So you cannot just say it will always be extreme because the extreme will keep growing. And especially if both sides have extreme sides, it will keep feeding into this culture of cynicism. So therefore... The reason why I would say that cynicism makes it impossible to make that gap is not just cynicism, but mainstreaming makes it difficult to bridge that gap because people are not equipped with the tools to help themselves assess these types of things. Like we don't have all the knowledge, um, but instead what we have are questions. So when we are presented with the answers, will we know if these answers are right or wrong? Especially when often it is attached to a figurehead like Duterte or Trump or Biden and all these types of things that are often static and unmoving. 
Um, so in a world where there are political divisions, those political divisions make it harder already for people to want to see the other side. But the mainstreaming of cynicism makes it even more difficult for people to see the validity of any other idea other than their own. Plus media that ends up sucking in a mainstream cynical world means that people are significantly ill-equipped to make decisions because the quality of the information they receive is bad. But secondly, because they, the capacities are not built for them to be able to cipher out what information they should and should not consume. And therefore, they are less likely to operate, blah, blah, blah. So this becomes a more micro-level discussion at closing government compared to the macro level stuff about governments and all that in opening government. So yes, boom, extension. <laughs> um, so CO, let's talk about CO. Um, I would say that, so the first, so I think opening does a good job. Wow, opening does a good job. Or am I opening telling The opening does a job <laughs> at discussing um, the role of well, I didn't talk about it, but that's one. I think in principle, so this one wasn't explored at, OG, at OO. Um, so what you can do is like the principle of democracy and why cynicism has like a huge role in that democracy. I would argue that democracy, therefore, is something that is hinged on cynicism in everyone, right? Instead of people being trusting, democracies are best suited in a world where more people are cynical than more people are trusting. So you'd, you'd flip the argument of OG. Um, the way that you can argue this is, well, elections are fundamentally just hinged on that. Like, we can't trust anyone. I would say the Constitution is created with the assumption that people have the capacity to be evil. Laws are created not to encourage a good, but it's to prevent a bad. So I would say, like, the structures of democracies and the way that they are set up is already cynical towards us as human beings. The constitution prevents governments from doing bad shit. Laws prevent people from doing bad shit, right? The reason why the social contract is not a benevolent endeavor, but it is one based on cynicism between me giving up my rights and being skeptical about your ability to give me benefits. The same way the government has monopoly on violence because it, while it does know that you have given up your rights, it also distrusts your ability to give up your rights willy-nilly. And then likewise, why people have the right to bear arms because um, they can also protect themselves from bad governments, bad people. So I would say the world is set up um, with that in mind, with cynicism in mind. Then I would say the reason why it's important then is so that people start exercising and accessing these things. So it's similar to the apathy argument that we launched at OO, but I would say at closing, um, democracies rely on people exercising their rights as much as the government enables you to exercise those rights. So in a world where mainstreaming of cynicism continues to become more mainstream, is a world in which people take it on themselves to enforce their rights and to enforce their liberties against other people and against the government that we can no longer trust. And I think that's better for democracies rather than one that relies on the benevolent actions of other people around us and the benevolent actions of the government. Yeah, so I would say that cynicism is the sweet spot and the mainstream of cynicism. So if the characterization is people haven't been cynical enough, like more people are trusting, more people have led to be abdue, to abuse, I would say that cynicism, as long as people don't act on it, it's just like an active belief 
it at least prevents things like the capital riots from happening. Because if only a small group of people are cynical enough, but they feel like they aren't heard, it is then that they're more likely to take violent action. The converse is people not doing anything at all because they trust that everything will fall into place. I would say that when you get more mainstreaming of cynicism, you create a thicker middle. So you you make it less likely for people to choose the more violent end, but you also allow more people to come together and to share collective doubt that becomes critical mass that they'll participate in the next elections and all that um, versus taking the more violent route like the capital riots. So when cynicism as a culture becomes mainstream because it's fed to us on Netflix documentaries, it's fed to us on memes, um, you get more people questioning these systems to find more like-minded people that question these systems. And they therefore feel like their voice can be heard or has the potential to be heard in the next elections through regular democratic means um, of protest instead of riots, of elections instead of more riots again. So it would also therefore be better for democracy that it becomes more mainstream because that's how you make democracy and society safer as a whole. Those are great extensions. And the best part is they're not like completely new to the world of debating. Like I noticed that earlier you were talking about the social contract and that's actually an angle of the social contract that I've never heard before, even though it's my favorite (laughs) debate argument ever. I actually messaged Nina while you were speaking and I said, this is like a a cynicism angle to Thomas Hobbes, the Leviathan and natural state of man is a state of war. And I was like, oh, this is really... This is really cool, really clever. But anyway, I think that's it for our discussion of the motion. Before we end this episode, we'd just like to ask you what would your tips be for other people who are in this tournament or are listening to this episode um, when they're going to encounter in the future more motions like this, either it's about mainstreaming or about cynicism or just any motion in general about art and culture. The biggest tip was, what does a regrets motion ask of you, right? So things like, what is the basic burden? the existence of a counterfactual and setting up that counterfactual. You're not regretting cynicism. You're regretting the mainstreaming of cynicism. So I think like as a whole for any motion, not just in arts and culture, it's really important to assess um, what the motion calls for you to do. Like never forget that. I tell all of my kids to read the effing motion and like with claps, I like read the effing motion. Um, I really think that's important. Like, you will never go wrong if you just learn how to read. Um, the second thing with arts and culture motion, I think one, there has to be a clear starting point. What does the world look like today? And what does what is the effect, therefore, of the art and the culture in changing that world? Or in, So either it goes against the world, right? So that's counterculture, or it enables that world. Um, and as you saw that in this discussion earlier, all of my arguments would have to start with an analysis of what, what state we are in, right? In OG, and OO, CG, CO, they all had different starting points for the extension to fly or for the argument so you need a clear analysis of that starting point especially and then what role the art or the culture plays in going against it or in supporting it the second thing is it has to be clear in arts and culture motions who the doer of the action is 
right? So either who is sending the message, who is performing the culture, who is creating the, the art, and then who do they expect to be the recipients of that art, of that message, of the culture, or the recipients of that action, right? So either the government is doing something, the people that it benefits are person X, Y, Z. Um, or I'm creating this art, right? Like I'm writing Harry Potter and my intended audience are teenagers, but anyone else can read it, right? So there's always an intended recipient in media, in art, and in culture. Someone will do something, someone will receive beyond that receiving end. And then the middle of that is what the message is or what the culture is. You just break it down into those basic things. What is the context? Who is doing the thing? What is being done? Who is receiving the thing? Those are my big tips for arts and culture. Thank you so much for that. So once again, we'd like to thank Papad for being a motion contributor and episode guest. Talking about this motion with you was really fun. Mm-hmm. I really like cynicism. I mean, as a concept, I'm not sure what I feel about the mainstreaming of it. So it's still still debatable, right? And remember, like what Papad said, it's all about the wording. So it's not a motion about whether cynicism is good or bad. It's about its mainstreaming. I'm also happy we finally got to do a post-debate analysis together. I know we've been planning one for a while. So we finally happened. So that's it for this episode of Debatable. We'll see you in the next one. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.